Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Byler. The podcast dedicated to those deconstructing and reconstructing their faith as we do the very same thing. This week is going to be the last episode of the transplant episodes I've been doing of interviews with my friends from Springfield, uh, from the How to Five College podcast that has now become part of the Belfast podcast. This interview is with my good friend, David Bibbis. We talk a lot more about college in this episode, so if that doesn't necessarily interest you, you can feel free to skip this one. It's not as lifey. I don't like that word, but it's not as lifey as the other ones are or were, but it's still an enjoyable time. It was still a good conversation. I enjoyed having it. Uh, On another note, Dimitri and I have more content ready to go. I'm finishing editing that episode we did uh, a couple days ago now, and that'll be up soon. And then we have more stuff planned for the future. So be ready for that. I hope everybody's staying sane, staying safe, just being wise, generally um, loving our neighbors well, loving ourselves well during this time, loving Jesus well. You can always find the Belfast Podcast at Instagram at the Belfast Podcast on Facebook at the Belfast Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Luke underscore Byler 816. That's B-Y-L-E-R 816. You can email us at BelfastPodcast at gmail.com. And please, if you find the opportunity and you enjoy the content we've been making, give us a rate. Give us a review on iTunes. It helps out a lot. Um, It's just always fun to know that people are connecting with it. I've got some messages on Instagram from friends of mine recently, um, just their encouragement. And this has been astounding and it always blows me away. So thank you very much for those of you that have reached out to me uh, and said something about it. Uh, again, we got more stuff coming your way. So without further ado, King let's Kami's talk. Look out, tell them, look out for my worldview. Cloudy when you sinking, got you thinking it's a whirlpool. Caesar in your pockets, you can't see who's in your pockets. But Stevie's inner visions touch your eyes and make the world move. Wifey bob her head and make her curls move. Crown jewels. I'm joined today by my buddy David. Uh, David, how do you pronounce your last name? You pronounce my last name Bippus. Bippus. Lots of people say Bips. Couple people say Bipes, but it's Bippus. All right. Yeah. So I'm joined today by David Bippus. You got it. All right. So David, we met through uh, through Bible study through Ichthus, right? Yeah. Do Do you remember the the night we met in detail? Because no, I do. We can I go don't into remember. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, go ahead. Because I so don't it remember. Was, I think it was either the first or second club, which is our worship meeting that we have every Thursday at the ranch and uh, I walked in there were a bunch of new people there and I just decided to meet one of them so I, I randomly yeah I randomly sat ne- next down to, uh, down next to you because you were on the floor and uh, I immediately noticed your boots because I had wanted a pair of those so I said nice what boots what are they David? thursdayboots.com <laughs> what are you wearing tonight? thursday boots exactly. uh, so yeah that was that was our connection and yes. then it turned out randomly, aside from the boots, we were also in the same writing class. Yes. So that was weird, but also cool. So we were in a nonfiction class together. That was a lot of fun. And we'd sit together. We'd, you know, we'd always talk in discussion. So yeah. I kind of got to know you through that class, got to read some of your stuff, um, which hopefully you might get into some of those uh, yeah. this evening. Um, and if you all listening hear <laughs> rattling noises upstairs, it's because the neighbors above me 
and my apartment complex have a dog that's in a kennel and it makes a bunch of noise. So I apologize. Um, but anyway, so get that out the way. So we met at Ichthus. You commented on my boots and now you're wearing Thursday boots. They're so, so comfortable. They're and amazing. Warm. Uh, yeah. So that's how we met through Ichthus. Kept coming to Bible studies, kept hanging out, um, kept seeing each other in class every day. Uh, we'd meet in the library sometimes. And so it's been, it's been good getting to know you, man. Um, yeah. I remember came over to the ranch one night, um, just to get out of my house, um, come see what was up. And I was reading and you were like, Hey man, I have this collection of, uh, of Tolkien short stories. And I was like, interesting. So I, you made me read Leaf by Nibble, which is probably one of my favorite short stories now. Yeah. So that's a good one. You always have some good reading recommendations. And now you're reading Harry Potter, yes. which I coincidentally just read last summer. So hopefully we can talk about those soon. Yes. When I finish them. Because I'm, pro- I'm going to start reading them again. I'm halfway through. I'm going to start reading them again over oh, the summer. Oh, yeah. You're doing the nonfiction only thing. Yes. Nonfiction only for this semester. What a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, David, we actually have uh, pretty similar histories in some senses both homeschooled uh for a i was homeschooled for a large portion of elementary school but you were homeschooled all the way till college i was homeschooled my entire life yeah people asked me right around the time i graduated high school if i would go to homeschool for college and i was very offended every time jokingly of course but (laughs) yeah i was like no i'm actually going to a real college so yeah all my life i was homeschooled so yeah uh speak on that for a bit um kind of your family history your heritage it's you kind of wrote about it in our nonfiction class but just to fill in some of your story before college uh what was your growing up years like what was i say specifically your high school experience like and then the question i've kept asking is what was one major struggle that you had during those times, like during the high school years? And then what was something that helped you get through it? Yeah. Um, so people always ask when when they find out that I'm homeschooled and, and we have time to talk about it, people say, how, how did you become homeschooled? Because that's not the default in America right now. Yeah. So how that happened was um, my, my family was living in Chicago. Uh, when when my siblings were very young, my older siblings, I have five siblings, four of them are older, and uh, they were living outside of Chicago, and my oldest brother started going to public school in the town they were living in, and he went through kindergarten, I think, and then he started first grade, and it was during first grade that they were kind of learning how to read. I guess they had specific reading classes for kids of that age. And my oldest brother in that class was being told by the teacher that he couldn't read ahead. And uh, he would he would bring home books at the end of the day, and he would tell my mom, you know, I can't I can't read these, or I want to read these, and I'm going to, but my teacher told me not to, something along those lines, um, because he was ahead of the other kids. He was reading so much faster, and she thought this is kind of ridiculous. Why should my kid be held back? Um, 
just because other kids are going slower. So she decided to homeschool him. And uh, she just decided to homeschool everyone else after him. So the rest of the five were homeschooled for um You're all, all grandfathered the into the yeah, program. Right. Yes. Whether we liked it or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it started. Um, that we had this whole thing where we moved down to Missouri and then by the time I came along, they'd been homeschooling. My parents had been homeschooling several kids. What's the gap between, so you're the fifth kid. What's the gap between four and five? Is there like a big gap there or is it somewhere else in the siblings? Um, or is there no real big gap? There is a seven-year gap, I think, between the two girls. So there are two boys, two girls, two boys. I'm the oldest of the two boys, the second pair. Um, so between the two girls, there's seven years. Wow. Yeah. So um, the other thing that people really ask, other than how did you get started homeschooling, is um, what's your social life like? And that's an interesting question for non-homeschoolers about the social life of homeschoolers, (laughs) which is very weird because all the time I was growing up again, I was homeschooled the entire time I was growing up. I would be around public schoolers and I found a lot of them who are much more antisocial than I was. So I was like, what, what's wrong with your social situation? I'm at home all the time. So that's why I'm awkward. But why are you awkward? Um, so it, our, homeschool or my homeschool experience specifically was affected by a few major factors. Um, the first of which was my mom deciding to put us in a bunch of competitions. And the first of the competitions was the spelling bee. So my sister started doing that. Uh, she went to the national spelling bee twice when she aged out, um, after eighth grade, I started doing that and I did it through eighth grade And I ended up going to the National Spelling Bee twice. But then my mom also decided to expand my portfolio of competitions to include um, the National Geographic Bee, which I went to state state level. What is it? So spelling bees are quite self-explanatory. You spell. Right. um, Oh, and you say you went to the National Spelling Bee. So... Mm -hmm. Were you ever on TV? Yeah, people always ask that on when ESPN, I say yeah. when Tom Bergeron used to host the Spelling Bee, the same guy who did America's Funny Some Videos. Yeah, so uh, kind of a letdown. No, I was not on ESPN, right. uh, to my knowledge at least. Uh, they have one written round and then two oral rounds. They, they haven't always done this, but in the years I was there, that's how they did it. And, by, and everyone is in these first three rounds. And at the end, they add up your aggregate score and you have to get, it's like kind of like getting into an Ivy League school. They sum up your totals and they take a certain percentage off the top and then they say, this is the cutoff. So it was like a 27, you needed a 27 and I had a 26, something like that. Um, so super unfortunate. And and then people who, who went on to round four were in the semifinals and that started being on TV, but I never got there, but I did see Tom Bergeron. That was cool. And whoever the Olympic gymnast was. I don't was. know who the other person is. She was 16 at the time and it was a big deal because we were like, wow, she's in the Olympics. We're the same. We're in the National Spelling Bee. So that was a big factor in my, in my homeschool life. Um, and then, as I said, I went to the National Geographic Bee, which is a little different. Um, there was a point at which 
my sister would ask me a bunch of random geography questions and I could answer any of them off the top of my head. I can't do that anymore, but so that was how say, deep I was. When you say National Geographic B, what, or was it a B or was it a competition? Yeah, or? they called it a B. Okay. Um, I, I think the, the National Spelling Bee has been around since 1925 and the National Geographic Bee has just been around since the mid to late 2000s, I think. And I but think what if you, is it, it as a competition? Is it yeah, like it, it's, what's the capital of this? You know, yes, there's city a lot of that. You basically have whatever. to know everything. Okay, so it's really hard. Um, you have to know the capital of everything. You have to know um, what the major export of states are. You have to know what the major languages of all the countries are. Um, you have to know politics, recent politics, current world events. You have to know how countries were founded and who's famous from there. You basically if if you turn on the news and see something about something about the world, you need to know that for the B. So I didn't do that well in it. They just go around kind of like the spelling bee and there are rounds, but instead of spelling words, you answer geography questions. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then we dabbled a little bit in the Bible bee the first year that it happened. What, we didn't uh, do was great. it through like Awana or through no, a separate um, organization? Because I know I, a lot of people and homeschoolers who do Awana and do Bible quizzing through Awana and things like that. Right. So it was through that. Who was that through? I think, if I remember correctly, it was through an organization called the Shelby Kennedy Foundation. Okay. Shelby Kennedy was a young girl. I think she was high school age of some in in that range somewhere, and she passed away from a terminal disease. I forget what it was exactly. And in her honor, they founded this foundation with a fund and uh, started a National Bible Bee. So Were we did that for at the one Bible year. Bee? No, I was not good at the Bible Bee. I didn't even place. And I was doing that along with the Spelling Bee and the ge- Geography Bee. So. so you had a lot of bees. Yeah. So that was kind of the first stage for me as a self-conscious how, human I how guess. old were you when you were in yeah that's these a great question i was when i started the spelling bee because i did the spelling bee first by itself um i was probably 10 okay 10 or 11 somewhere around there and then by the time i got out of it it was eighth grade so 13 14 how so how was your social life in those days so in those days it wasn't Going into great your teenage years yeah it was middle school years really. wasn't too hot um the people that i knew about my age were either in our 4h club which i'll talk about in a bit because that was another of the big factors in my growing up experience um or they were at church but we were part of a very conservative fundamental baptist church and uh that leads to a certain genre of people who have their own social issues. So <laughs> I won't say too much on that. Um, so social life wasn't that great. Um, 4-H, I was in for 10 years. I started that before I was in the Spelling Bee, and I continued all the way through till pretty much the year right before I started college. Um and I did a bunch of projects in that. I did public speaking and woodworking. Those are two of my really major um, projects. I went to the um, state public speaking contest and won a few times. So I got some friends there. But 
you know, they didn't live where I lived. So it was kind of a weird thing. Um, yeah, it wasn't great in 4-H either, but it was fine. I was kind of branching out a little bit compared to the bees where people would just be nerds from all over. Um, so it was kind of a step up from that. Yeah. Cause you got different, not just like specific competition, like, uh, environment, like not specifically just like, Oh, we're all here cause we spell good or we're yeah. all here because we know yeah. geography. Well, it's like, we're here cause we're people. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have interests. So that was a little bit nicer, I guess, in 4-H compared to the bees. Um, so, the other big factor of my growing up years was Boy Scouts. And I really wanted to join Boy Scouts um, because I, my, my oldest brother that I talked about, the first guy who's homeschooled in my family, um, bought a lot of books while he was growing up. He would save his own money and then buy his own books. And one of the books he happened to buy was the 50th anniversary Boy Scout handbook, which is a pretty famous handbook. It's the only one with the with a Norman Rockwell cover that was specifically made for a handbook. A bunch of the others have it, have cover by um, Norman Rockwell, but he didn't make them specifically for the handbooks. And uh, I found the book one day randomly when I was about 12 years old, I'd say, and read the entire thing through. It was from the 50s, so it was a little bit not up to date, but I still thought it was awesome. And I told my mom, I think we should do this. And she was like, I don't know. And it took me about a year to convince her that it was a good idea. But eventually I convinced her. And um, eventually my brother and I joined along with my mom. Along with it, your mom? Yeah. To the Boy Scouts? Yes. And we could talk about how the, girl, Go the ahead. girls are in Boy Scouts, which is a bit of a separate issue. I don't know as much about that because it started after I... Uh, after I'm not in Boy Scouts anymore. But I, I think it was... No, but what the, was that like the, with your brother and then your mom it, also being... That was what I was meaning. Like, what what was that situation like? Oh, like with, with my mom being yeah. there. Like, it, go ahead and actually, speak on that. It actually wasn't that uncommon. Okay. It, it was pretty common for you, people's you what, moms like to 13? be... Yeah, it was about 13. Okay. It wasn't that uncommon for mothers of Boy Scouts to be in the program and around and on campouts and stuff. So that wasn't that bad or out of the ordinary at all. Um, so I think it was the last year, year and a half, um, roughly of being in the spelling bee that I joined Boy Scouts. So I was kind of juggling my time between the two. And, um, then I was out of the spelling bee and I was just onto Boy Scouts and I did 4-H stuff on the side as well. Um, but in Boy Scouts, the situation with my social life was a lot better because there were, we, we were doing a specific program together pretty much all the time. So it was very, very communal. Yes. And that. it was very communal. We would have weekly meetings instead of monthly with 4-H and 4-H is fragmented. Everybody's doing their own thing and they just get together. Think of it as a support group. Whereas Boy Scouts is more of like a friend group, like you actually hang out. So you have the weekly meetings and then you also go camping and you also do fundraisers and you also mm -hmm. plan shopping trips to buy food for campouts, stuff like that. Um, so the situation was much better there. And then as I got out of the spelling bee and had more time to devote to 
hanging out with Boy Scouts. It got even better from there. Hmm, that's awesome. Because it seems like with the other competitions that you had, it was kind of like, we're here, but we're here to compete against each other. Yeah. So like, why become friends? Because if you're out, I might not ever see you again. But with the Boy Scouts, again, like you said, it gives you that consistent see that consistency of meeting together and it's also not like hey we're competing against each other to see yeah. like who's out this week it's not survivor but it's like hey we're together in this thing we all want to learn and we all want to grow mm-hmm. and so we're going to go forward in that and we have people leading us towards those goals right and i think with both the bees and with boy scouts you could see um how it made things different for kids who are only children in their family. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously I've never had that experience of being an only child, but a lot of the people both in the bees and at boy scouts were. And so in, in the bees and like, yeah. Um, if you watch say Akila and the bee, the, I think the other child who's competing against Akila is a, is a only only child. And that makes him super competitive because he's like, he, he's used to being the best. And so he wants to do really well. And that's where his self-worth is because all his parents' attention and energy is focused on him. Whereas in Boy Scouts, um, when you have only children come in, it's like they're now in a sibling environment where they're not the only one and, and their identity isn't tied up in being an only child. Their identity is more part of the group. So I think as far as that goes for um, having a, a healthy sense of self-worth, I think Boy Scouts does a better job than participating in spelling bees. So how old were you? How long were you in the Boy Scouts? Let me ask that first. So I joined when I was 12 or 13 and then I got out of it. The first year I joined, um, I, I started going to college. So when I was 18, so that was about six years. Okay. Would you say that was the best part of your high school experience? Essentially, um, you know, you started when you were 12, so you would have been like what seventh grade equivalent. Yeah. Right. Um, so middle school and high school, it was the boy, the boy scouts that kind of gave you that community and that life outside of homeschooling. Yeah. Um, when people, (laughs) when people talk to me now and they say, wow, I didn't think you were a homeschooler. I would never have seen that. Um, I have Boy Scouts to thank for that (laughs) because I was with a lot of public schoolers and you know, they did their thing and I assimilated as best I could. And, uh, here we are now. Yeah. So it taught you more than more than just yeah, the that things was my that the Boy Scouts real teach education. you. Education. That was your education, <laughs> your social education. Yes, it was. As yes, far as was. like this is what the outside world's like. Um, so I want to go back to something though. Uh, you talked about you were in a conservative Baptist church mm-hmm. for a while. Was that for you know your all of your growing up years, or was that just? For the first couple of years, your family was there, and then like they switched to a different church, or was that like you grew up in that? That's an interesting question. I almost said that it was just like a quick passing through type of thing, but 
by by reason of of what age I was when we were there, it was much more of a formative experience than it would have been to say someone in their mid twenties who aren't as impressionable. Um, my it a weird thing about my family is that we have generally not we we've been in a lot of groups but not always fit in well with those groups. So this church was an example of that in that we weren't Baptists. We weren't as conservative as anyone else in that church. And yet we were there for probably three or four years. Okay. And how old were you about that time? I was, um, probably 10 through 15 when I was there. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So really like, really the times that you're trying to figure out who you are socially in life was when you were there. Not that it's necessarily bad, yeah, but it's, that was your environment. Yeah. I think I had parts of my, what order do you put them in? Is it preteen, tween, and then teen? Part of those three sections, they were all during the time we were in that church. Do you think that was good for you? Do you feel like it was mostly a negative experience? Um, a little of both. I mean, nothing's ever perfectly good. Well, I wouldn't say that being in that church was necessarily a negative experience, um, but there weren't a ton of positives that came out, came out of it for me. Um, even looking back, I mean, even at the time, I wasn't on board with a lot of the stuff that the church taught, um, just as far as like, KJV Bible is the only Bible that oh, God so it was has like ordained. That conservative. Yes, it was that type of of conservative, and they held their own school that a bunch of people went to, um, who also went to the church. And uh, but the the one really positive experience that I had was doing choir there because they had the school, and my mom decided to let us join their choir, and we went to some some competitions and did really well. And I really enjoyed choir, and I kind of miss it still so that was kind of a bright spot of being in that church okay well it sounds like you had a cert you had certainly had an interesting uh life growing up not the normal public school um then i don't know what i'm doing from 15 to yeah 18 and i end up going to some college or you know finding myself in high school um what would you say though is like the the biggest struggle that you had in high school or in those years um because you weren't in an in a public high school or anything like that but from the from that 15 to like 18 uh what was something that like either really weighed on you or you look back on it now and you're like man i never knew how much that affected me you know back then it's kind of hard to pin down one thing where it's like, okay. yes, I struggled with that. Um, so I'll pick one, Okay, which was that when I was in college, I lived outside of Rolla, which has uh, Missouri University of Science and Technology. It's a famous school internationally for computer science and engineering. And my sister had gone there, and I think one of my brothers had gone there, uh, but neither of them had graduated. It was kind of assumed the entire time I was going through high school that I would go there when I grew up. 
And, um, I, I didn't really think about what else could be while I was in high school. I didn't think, Oh, I could look at different schools and figure out what programs would be a good fit, good fit for me and work toward that. So the result of not thinking about college in those terms in high school was that when I graduated high school and went straight into S&T and a computer science major, I was not prepared for it at all. I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I think I've it, that definitely put me at a disadvantage compared to the other people in my program. I think I've overcome that disadvantage now because I have figured out what I want to do and I have made a switch to a different college and a different program, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on later on. Um, so I think I've overcome that disadvantage, but I think that is the thing that I struggled with most. And, and if I would go back and do high school again, I would definitely consider college, um, more proactively through high school. So was that, that sense of, I have to go to Rolla, was it pushed by your family? Was it like, you don't have any other options you have to go because your sister went or was it just an assumed event that you would end up going there and no one really said anything about it? It was just like, Oh yeah. And when David goes to does S and T, or when David's off at Rolla, like it was just kind of assumed that you'd be there or was it like, now you have to go there. Otherwise bad things happen. Or, you know, you know, we'd really love if you, if you went there, I think that would be really good for you. Kind of like that nice pushy, but not, but not like explicitly pushy kind of language. What was that like in, in your family and then with all of that? Right. So let me ask you this. When you were in high school, did you ever think about going to school in, say, Germany, like at, at, in a college? No, never. And doing your four years there. Yeah, so it was kind of, that was kind of the way it felt. I wasn't really pushed toward a specific option, but, but it I was never, like, this it never occurred sense. to me that I could do something. Mm-hmm. People who grow up here... They don't, some, some do, but they typically don't think, oh, I'm going to go to school in Europe for the next four years when I graduate. It was kind of like that. I didn't think I could go to a different school for these four years. It just made the most sense. And it was the only, it's the only option I was consciously aware of really. It's interesting you say that because I remember, uh, when I was in high school, so I was in an international boarding school. And I, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do necessarily, even throughout high school, you know, you're a junior, senior, and especially at my school, it's like, you should probably know like where you're going to go because your family might not be there with you. Like you need geographically, you need somewhere to land. Right. Um, and I was in the fortune position that my family was all going to move back with me. Um, so I had that oh, cushion. So even though you were going to international school, it was still assumed you would be in the United States. Yes. While you went to college. Because, there you go. Yeah. Because uh, like 90, some probably 95 or greater percent of the students there were 
American or of American descent and wanted to go to school in America. Gotcha. Um, there were some like some, a girl I graduated with uh, was from from Denmark and she's like going to school over there. Or like some of my some of my classmates go to school in London because uh, that's you know they're from the UK things like that. But for the most part, it was all either people from the U.S. or families from the U.S. who were going to go back to the U.S. or uh, people from other places who wanted to go to the U.S. And that was a big reason they were at the school. Um, a lot of that had to do with like Kenyan nationals who went to the school because it was like kind of their kid's ticket to go to the U.S. Right. Um, so that's what was pushed generally was school inside the United States because RVA had the most connections with those and it was just kind of the easiest to cast this net of like, here's your options. If you want to go other places, we'll work with you. But like, here's what we'd recommend. And so it was, and it's also like the, if you have family there, probably a good idea to go near them. You know, whether it's, you're going to be your parents who are going to be back with you or like you have aunts and uncles or grandparents who live there. Um, so I am from Missouri and my parents were going to move back. We we're going to move back to where we used to live in Missouri and I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go to uh, UCM and University of Central Missouri. Because I had a buddy who went there who went through, uh, they have a really good, um, I almost said social justice program, which that's not correct. <laughs> uh, criminal justice. They have a good criminal justice program. Very different things. Very, very different things. <laughs> Um, pretty much opposites, if you think about it. Anyway, um, no, they have a good criminal justice program. And so I was like, eh, I'll probably do something like that because it's something he did. So I was yeah. going to be like, oh, it's an easy choice. Again, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So that was in my mind probably ever since I was 17. And I had come back to go to my cousin's wedding, uh, come back to the States, go to my cousin's wedding. Uh, my ju- middle of my junior year. And when I came back, I actually visited my buddy at UCM and like toured the school. He took me around. I stayed in his apartment for a couple nights and I was like, yeah, you know, this seems good. I had emailed, you know, one of the uh, advisors there and was like, hey, I'm at this school in Kenya. Like, here's my, here's my transcript. Like, what do I have to fill out? So I filled out the online application. I got accepted. And then I, that was my junior year. And then I deferred the acceptance for a year because I still had to go through my senior year. And then I think it was, oh, no, I was a senior and I deferred it for a year because I was going to take a gap year. That's what my nice. parents wanted me to do. Fancy. They pushed it more than I even wanted to. Um, they were just like, hey, Luke, you've never had a car. You've never had a driver's license. Like, you've never had a job, <laughs> and you're 18. Like, most people have had jobs for, like, two or three years by now, you know, who are your age. They've had some of this life experience under them as they go to college. And so I was like, all right, sounds like a good idea. So end up taking my gap year, working for a whole year, thinking I'm going to go to UCM probably half the time. And then I'm just talking to my cousin's wife, or my cousin and his wife, and they were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't really know. And then she goes, well, why don't you, there's a community college like 15 minutes from your house and you can do all your gen eds there. Why don't you do that? 
And it was just like, that was nothing that was ever talked about <laughs> when I was in high school. Like, no one at my boarding school talked about community college. I don't remember a single conversation about it. And my parents didn't really talk about it until she brought it up. And then we looked into it and we were like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good idea. So at her insight, I ended up going to community college. But it was, again, it was one of those moments where it was like, it was nothing I'd ever considered. And then once she said it, I was like, yeah, makes sense. And I can still work yeah. at the place I've been working for a whole year while I go. And it was probably one of the best educational decisions I ever made. So thank you, Kelly. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I totally kind of understand when you say that. Like, I just never thought of anything else. That was me, my junior, senior year of high school. It was like, duh, I'm going to go there. Why would I not? Uh, and then... I had other friends and buddies who are all going to come to MSU. And so I was like, well, I'd rather go there with them than like be alone somewhere else. And they have the program I originally wanted to do, which I'm probably going to be in someone who changes their major three times because I've already changed it once. So yeah, it's really that feeling of I hadn't, I didn't know the options were there. And then when I found them out, you know, everything started to change because of that. Um, so what was that like for you when you switched from going to Rolla? Cause you were there for, how long were you there? I was there for a full two years. So I got to Missouri state as a junior. I was doing computer science. Did you get the, your gen eds done there too? Or just <laughs> did, were you already in like of, the program? Kind of halfway. Um, I was in the computer science program. They didn't really have too strict of like here you have to complete X number of courses to be in the College of Business. They don't really have that in the computer science program at S&T. So I was working through those, uh, but I wasn't great at math, and I was trying to catch up on that, and I was learning how to code because I had never done that before. And then I started realizing, um, I think at the beginning of my sophomore year, that maybe computer science as a major wasn't going where I thought it was going and I didn't want to go where it actually was going. I had been the, the previous summer before my sophomore year, I had been working a job, which I'm still working here in Springfield. And, uh, I got that as a computer science major, it's a coding job and working with databases. And then I got back to school and started learning about databases in class. And I thought this is useless. I already know how to do all of these in a real work environment. And then I started expanding that type of thinking to all the classes I was taking. And I looked ahead to see the classes I would be taking and thought, yeah, I don't really want to do that. And then the, the, the final piece that kind of pushed me over the edge or mostly to the edge was I randomly at an event at someone's house with a bunch of college friends met this guy who had done computer science for five years and was about to graduate. And he and I had never talked to each other before, but we struck up a conversation and talked for probably an hour and a half. And he talked me through all the things that a computer science major at S&T gives you. And he just went through the list and it confirmed everything I already knew that I, that I knew the major was leading me toward and that I didn't want to be moving toward. What and, were some of those things? Yeah, some of those things were um, having a very analytical look at 
coding problems in depth, learning um, programmatic libraries and how they interact with each other and granularly optimizing for runtime, optimizing for memory allocation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that can go into a computer program at all the levels that can exist. That was what I would be slogging through over the next two to three years, depending on how quick it went. And I had no interest in that. I wanted to go to computer science um, because I wanted to learn how to make websites and build apps. And I figured out that they weren't really going to teach me that. We would touch on it, but because computer science is such a broad field, we would tackle the fundamentals of the field and then look at a few very specific, um, almost like uh, tangents along the way, kind of stopping to sniff the flowers. But the main journey wasn't what I wanted to do at all. So I thought, you know, I want to switch over to another major. And I was looking at MSU because I already had a job here and I knew some people here and I knew I had a place to stay, the same place I had stayed over the summer. And uh, I looked at MSU and Drury, looked at a bunch of their programs because I knew I w I've always known I've wanted to start a business and run a business. So I started looking at some of their business programs and uh, entrepreneurship seemed to stick out at me. So now I'm an entrepreneurship major at MSU. So what's the work you do now? Because like I've talked a little bit to you off mic about some of the work that you do, but I don't really know what you do. So I guess just to give some more context to that, like what you just said about how the work, you know, trumped all this school stuff, which I think more and more people are finding is the case. Right, because I have a buddy who does graphic design, and he's, what, he's, I don't think he's, tw hey, Brayden. Never mind. <laughs> um, he's, I think he's turning 20. Um, he's already worked for two different companies, making almost $20 an hour doing graphic design. Yeah. And he went to a school to do graphic design, a local community college to get like a an associate's in graphic design. It's not necessarily that specific that title, but it's similar to that. And he was like, "Well, I literally sit in class, and my teacher, who's sixty five years old, and <laughs> doesn't know the ins and outs of these programs like I do, literally reads from a textbook, or like puts in the DVD and like." just no real practical application just like here f do these modules and like that's it and yeah. so he was like this is i'm literally wasting my time it is of no use to me to go do this and so he dropped out now he's pursuing a, a regular associate's degree so you know more power to him but just to that point of like he would sit there all the time and just be like man all this stuff going on in my design classes garbage like why would I do that and so what was that like for you did you have similar feelings at you know S&T where you're just like man like why why do I learn this now I already know this and so what did what was that job and kind of what do you do at the job you're at um, and just kind of dive a little deeper into 
those feelings that you had of like, well, this isn't worth it then. Mm-hmm. I think something that's common to a lot of college students is learning stuff in class and knowing that it will be useful, but having no idea how it will be useful. And because they don't know how it will be useful, they have a hard time motivating themselves to learn it as they probably should, given how important it is. So when I started my job here in town at D3 Technologies, which is an Autodesk reseller, Autodesk software reseller and uh, value-added partner of VAR, um, I knew nothing about what they did or what I needed to do. I just knew there was a job, I wanted a job, and they hired me. So I showed up on the first day, and um, the guy I was set to work with said, have you ever heard of the programming language SQL? And I said, no, because I had not. And he said, that's fine. We can learn this. So he gave me um, a, a link to this website called W3Schools, which has a bunch of, it's still a good coding resource when I have some issues that I need to, to fix. He pointed me to the SQL tutorials. kind of like Skillshare? Are you familiar with um, Skillshare? I don't think so. It, it's basically just like some short form content. Okay. It's like definitional stuff. Okay. Here's the functions that you need to use, and here's how to use them, a few code examples. So I said, read this. Spent the entire first day reading from that website. By the time 5 o'clock hit, I was done. So I like to tell people I learned SQL in a day. Of course, I'm still learning things even to this day, um, but that was my primer. And like I, uh, I said a little bit about before, when I went back to school after that summer, I literally took a SQL class and I learned more from my job over the summer and I was using it in actual real business applications, which was great. I didn't learn that from the class at all. What I learned from the class was also definitional, but useless definitional could do nothing with it and there were weird coding projects that the professor imagined for us to do instead of like here's some data that the executives needs to see figure out how to show it to them um, so what I do there is uh, I'm an administrator for their CRM in interface and their databases pretty much not all of the software, but probably 70% of the software that the internal employees use to do their job, I'm an administrator for and can solve problems and um, make customizations for. One of uh, the people I know, he's uh, he was, when he asked me what I did for a living, he was probably around 13. And uh, so I said, you know, if you sell a cookie to me for a dollar, you and I both know that you sold me a cookie for a dollar. It's not that hard to keep track of. And if it's hard for us to remember, if we want to remember a year from now, we can write it down on a piece of paper, know where to find it, it's fine. But if you sell a thousand cookies to a thousand different people and for different prices, it's far harder to remember or to keep track on pieces of paper all those transactions. So a CRM, um, which stands for Customer Relationship Manager software, um, keeps track of all those interactions. So you can store products there, you can store 
contacts, companies, information about your connections with them. So it's a giant database. The database is the back end where everything is stored in basically giant Excel spreadsheets. And CRM is what people see. They can go to a website and look people up through a search box. So um, I write a lot of reports for that. There's also a lot of um, automation that goes into our sales process. And we have, for example, um, let, let's say someone signs up for a class to take AutoCAD training through my company. They go on the website, they fill out a form, and then automation does a bunch of stuff. It makes um, some software contracts for them to say, yes, you have the right to take this class. Yes, you have paid for it. It invoices them for the cost. Um, it sends them a confirmation for registration email, a bunch of stuff like that. So there are about 70 people working there. We have thousands of products. We have a uh, several tens of thousand clients across the nation right now. And CRM keeps track of all of that. So that's high level what I do at that job. Wow. That's, that's, so is that, I mean, you want to do entrepreneurial, um, but is what kind of entrepreneurial? Because there's many different things you could go into. Um, uh, so I'm just curious with you doing that, with you having done coding, have an interest in technology, what are you, what kind of, to go a little bit further into what you're now, so this, that's like where you're at now mm-hmm. in college, kind of how you came to switch and why you switched. So like, what are you looking towards? Yeah. You know, what's the, what's your goal more or less? So I've always been a fan in my head of coming up with awesome entrepreneurial ideas and then, you know, making million dollar businesses out of them that make me very successful by age 23 or whatever. Um, So I've come up with a lot of interesting ideas um, since I started going to college, but there's one that stuck with me and that I'm still trying to work on and want to I'm trying to get done with college so I can work on that more. And I definitely see how being in the entrepreneurship program will give me tools to work on this idea later on. And basically it's to make the cost of college textbooks cheaper. They're really expensive right now and they're a lot higher. Yeah. They're a lot higher than regular books that aren't textbooks. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. And part of, what I need to do to get this business off the ground is quantify those reasons and analyze them a lot and get a lot of input from different expert sources. But eventually I want to make a website that is a place where you can go to get your textbooks and give them back um, for one price in a semester. Now, it the model sounds a lot like renting, And I myself haven't totally defined how it's different from renting, but I think what I want to do is remove a lot of inefficiencies from the market, from the textbook market that exists right now, and um, textbook rentals definitely have a lot of inefficiencies themselves, because if they didn't, there would be some really large textbook rental services, and there aren't really they all seem to be kind of struggling. Um, So I would like to have one source where everybody can get all their textbooks for one price. 
so you, you want to be the Amazon of school textbooks. Yeah. Which is kind of a scary thing to think about because I think I think the only reason I can be successful in this idea I'm trying to work on um, is that nobody else is doing it because it's a clear need and it's if you think about it and work on the problem it's not something that's super hard to solve so if yes if i get into a space where i'm competing with amazon because amazon rents out textbooks they could easily wipe me out in a semester Uh, but i the way i'm looking at it is the end goal is to make textbooks cheaper so if they succeed at that and beat me at the same time i'm totally fine with it because text will be cheaper and that's what i what i'm trying to do plus it's just a great first idea to get stuff off the ground help me learn how to run a business and uh get some failure under my belt that's right that's good that's good so um i think that's a really awesome idea I think I'm I'm curious to see uh, how you work with that and tweak that with the different tools you get, um, in in the program that you're in. Uh, so yeah, keep me updated on that. Uh, the great thing about this idea is that every single college student I ask about this idea says that's a great idea. Keep me updated. I will be your customer when you get this going. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty encouraging. Um, what would you say is like the biggest piece of advice you'd give to either the high school junior senior that's in the uh, advising offices? meeting with counselors and everybody's like, you know, you need to know, you need to know, you need to know what you're going to be doing. Right. And it's crazy. We put so much pressure on 16, 17 year olds to come up with a plan of what they're going to do for the next 10 years. Not There's only a that, reason but that college did... students change their majors like three to four times. Call it. Yeah. Yeah. Three to four times. Spend a lot of money, just throw it in there, you know, Mm -hmm. without thinking about (laughs) what it'll get you. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, to that, you know, high school, junior, senior, or even that college sophomore, right, who's like, man, I'm in this program, but it it ain't it, chief. (laughs) Like, this is not working. Like maybe they did something like you or they took a summer summer job at something they liked and enjoyed and they were going to school for and then they go back and they're like, Well, man, I already know all this. Uh so and maybe it's different advice for each, but what would what would your piece be for them? Let me let me think if I can uh say this in a way that that is actually useful instead of just a bunch of ideas bouncing around in my head. Um, I would say don't get stuck in thinking that you have to do this one sequence of things or do this one package of things. Um, Because like you were talking about earlier, 
you were thinking about going to a certain school and it made sense until this other thing that you hadn't thought of before came up, which made more sense. So as you go through college, there will be a lot of things that you learn that will make previous things you learn make less sense. And don't be afraid to switch away from what you were doing to something that makes more sense. Um, when I moved to Springfield and switched schools, um, like I said, I was it was after my sophomore year, so I was right around halfway through college. And uh, one of my friends who was, I think she was a sophomore at the time that I transferred, she said, you're so brave, I could never switch schools. And I said, why wouldn't you switch schools? And she said, oh, it's too late for me. I've already put too much time into my major. We were doing the same major, and she was a year behind me, a year earlier than me. And uh, I thought, she's going to go through, probably he's, she's probably going to take this whole program and graduate from it and go into the workforce and then realize she probably shouldn't have done this program and regret that she didn't switch. Whereas I had figured out that the program wasn't for me and I didn't keep doing it thinking that, you know, this is guaranteed to give me a certain outcome. So I should stick with it or else I will get no guaranteed outcome because nothing has a guaranteed outcome. So I would say it's never too late to change and start doing something that makes more sense. But that sounds very absolute and, and very all-knowing on my part. So I'll modify it a little bit. I'll say it's probably never too late to stop doing something that doesn't make sense and start doing something that makes a little more sense. Some great, great advice right there. Um, I'm actually, <clears throat> I don't want to say going through that at the moment, but I, in, in some senses I am because uh, I came, so I, I said I'm changing my major almost, well, we'll probably end up changing my major three times because uh, I originally came to MSU with a desire to do um, basic, I, it wasn't this exactly, but it was basically an auto in, audio, 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 audio engineering degree. Okay. I almost said yeah. auto engineering and I was like, no, it's not cars. <laughs> it's aud- um, audio, yeah. audio engineering. Right, because I, I still did music at the Sound. time. There you go. Sound, Sound engineer. <laughs> yeah, because I still did music at the time. You know, I was still really interested in that. I was starting to do podcasts, so I was like, you know, let me learn more. And then uh, my buddy, who was doing the same major, who, who was going to do the same major, didn't end up coming to MSU with us. And then my, uh, I started, I didn't do music much at all you know even since I said that it was going to be my major I kind of stopped and I started writing more I took a creative writing class at my community college it was a great experience probably one of the top 10 things that's a big that's a that's (laughs) that's weighty maybe not that big it was a big moment for me at the time to like see some something else that I was like man this is great. I love doing this. 
more than I love making music, which was a crazy <laughs> thing to say, like for me in my own head. Um, so I was like, I'll do creative writing. It happened that my roommate, Braden, is doing creative writing. And I was like, well, I should probably do something business related because, you know, if I'm ever going to, you know, want to be a writer or have a business or even work in a business, it would be good to have that knowledge. So ended up saying, all right, I'll do a business minor, general business, something specific, and get to school, go through the first semester. A lot of things happened last semester for me. Um, A lot of relational things, a lot of personal growth things, um, you know, a lot of school things. School wasn't as challenging as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't as helpful as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in these creative writing classes and I'm, you know, there's this running joke for creative writers. It's like, don't do this if you want to make money. Not that money is my ultimate goal. I don't hope it never is. But I was also like, this is my major like, this is the thing I'm spending 80% of my educational energy towards. Something that isn't even like, oh, yeah, when you graduate, here's like 10 things you can like go get a job in because you're desirable on the market, right? Yeah. It's more like, no, you should probably go get a master's <laughs> and then teach. And I don't want to teach. And so I was just sitting there. I kept thinking like, man. I'm going to school for writing, but the big project in my nonfiction class, which is what I love writing, for the whole semester, I literally adapted something I'd written over the summer just for fun and like tweaked it, changed it a bit and turned it in for class. It's like, I already did that without the pressings of a professor for me to go write. And... I just kept thinking about it more and more and I was like, man, is this creative writing thing, is this being my major really that helpful for me? And I actually ended up talking to one of my one of my teachers. She taught a transfer class for, for incoming students who had gone to a different school were coming into MSU. And so uh, she does a lot of the tech writing on at, at MSU. She, I think, head of the program, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I met with her one day, just, it was a class assignment, you know, go talk to her for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, you know, kind of give her a rough outline of what, you know, you think your next couple of semesters are going to look like, what are you kind of aiming for? And so me and Brayden actually met with her together and she asked both of us, she's like, why uh, the business minor? And we were both like, well, it made sense. I mean... You know, business people do that. Business people make money. Creative writing doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> and so she was like, "Why?" well, she was kind of like, not tooting her own horn, but she kind of was like, well, you guys are both pretty decent writers, like fairly good. If you want to do something that has writing involved in it, it's not glamorous. It's not like, oh, I wrote a novel, but like, why don't you try technical writing? Right? Every company needs a tech writer. Everybody needs someone to produce their blog or produce their you know, memos or their manuals or whatever, right? Everybody needs one and you get to write. So I think you guys might try that. Just see what you think. 
And so I think it was a couple of weeks later, we went changed our minors. And so I'm in tech writing now and I just keep, I'm literally, I'm taking two online classes for non, for, for uh, creative writing. Uh, one of them is publication, which has been pretty helpful, but I'm literally three weeks ahead in the class. And then I finish my nonfiction homework. The Sunday it gets posted for the rest of the week. <laughs> like, I'm just like, this isn't, I'm not being challenged really in these nonfiction classes, or at least I'm not in these creative writing classes, or at least I'm not doing something I wouldn't already be challenging myself to do. Um, like that one of the, we write two essays in my nonfiction class this semester cause I'm in a 500 level class. I'm a junior in in graduate level courses for creative writing. Like, you know, what a, not to boast, but it's just, that's the case. Cause my professor was like, yeah, you'd be good. So I'll, I'll waive your prereqs and let you be in the five, 600 level class. And so, but again, the, the big, one of the, we're writing two big pieces. One of the big pieces we're going to write, I'm writing another essay that I thought of over winter break. I'm just going to use that for the class. So it's like, what am I doing here? Is it really that helpful? And so, um, partially because I don't want to be in, I don't like classrooms. I don't, especially with writing and with writing, it's just like people talk about craft and all this stuff, which is great. It's all good things to know, but I'm also like, I'm going to read about this anyway. Like I want to do Malcolm Gladwell's master class just because I want to, like, this isn't stuff I don't already want to know about or stuff I don't already, I'm not already familiar with. So I'm like, man, if I could change my, my my major to professional writing, do it online so I don't have to be, you know, at Missouri State living in a place I don't necessarily want to live and go, you know, work a, a more stable job while I'm still in school trying to get my degree done, why would I not? And if this tech writing thing is really going to be as helpful as I'm feeling it's going to be, as a, and uh, the more I'm going into it, the more I feel confident about it. Again, it's like that thing where the audio engineering didn't make sense, or it made sense, and then I was like, doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the creative writing thing was like, totally makes sense. And then I got into it, and I was like, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. This isn't as helpful as I anticipated. So I'm like, this other thing, not that it necessarily, it makes more sense, but it's also like, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to put effort into something that I don't feel like is going to, in the end, be, even be as beneficial as some may promise it is. So, yeah, I'm kind of living in that advice right now. I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'm not saying like I have it all together. It might change in a year. I don't know. But I'm just trying to use best the resources I have and not lean on my own understanding for everything. Um, Which is a hard thing to do because I want to have control and I want to know what's going on. But yeah, I think that's really good advice because I'm trying to put those feet forward right now partially why i want to do this podcast too so yeah 
Good advice. Good advice. Anything else you got to say for the people or for me? Oh, I don't think we've touched on the fact that I'm not going to school right now. Oh, yes. So, do you want to talk about that for a couple minutes? So, yeah. Uh, If I were on time for school, um, I'll explain what that means in a second, I would be graduating in May, and so I'd be done. But as it happens, I um, have another two years to go. So, four full semesters, and then I'll be done. And that's because of my transfer. You asked earlier if I just did gen eds. Mm-hmm. I did a bunch of gen eds at S&T and computer science program courses, but then I moved here and the College of Business has very different gen eds than computer science requires. So I basically, I've been here one and a half years at MSU now, and I've basically redone freshman and sophomore year as an MSU bear, which mm-hmm. has kind of sucked, but also been good in its own way to That's reorient why I, stuff. I always say getting my associate's degree, getting those gen eds and having like a, a piece of paper for it. Yeah. That like basically any school is going to accept. Yeah. It's probably one of the best decisions I made. So yeah, yeah. that's great. It just say if you're going to continue then on going to school, if you're like, I'm in my gen ed program, but I like already have this thing that I'm going to, I know I'm going to go do and that I love doing and that like I can do without it. Like go ahead, more power to you. But for all those people who are on the fence about it, the advice I give is what my dad always told me. He's just like, I think it's just smart to at least go through it and get it done. And then, you know, the next, two years of education whether you go back in a year or 10 years right it's a little easier to do two years of school instead of four yeah so I had gotten to this place where I was doing really well in school the past couple semesters in fact the entire time I've been here I've been doing great and um, working at the same time which has been amazing and I, I was kind of getting burned out on school because I was doing what you said before, sitting in classes and like not knowing why I was there, thinking this is useless. Why would I be here? I need to do something else. But at the same time, I didn't want to drop out of school and I didn't want to switch to a different program. So I was trying to think, how can I fix this problem? How can I stop feeling this way that I'm feeling and not caring about school? And so I finally decided that I would take a mini version of a gap year three years after I started school because I didn't get to do that you take before I started off. college. Yeah. Smart. So I'm taking the semester off, um, the spring semester. So I'll have eight months total before August. Um, what I want to do, first of all, I'm working full time every week, which is great um, for the bank account. And then I'm I'm also wanting to read more and um, sleep more and be more intentional about hanging out with people that I want to hang out with. Um, basically I want to be, I want to become more of who I am and less of who college wants me to be. And Mm. I think that's really Mm. easy to fall into when you're in college because that's where the, where colleges make their money is when they turn out people who have successfully done all the things in the program. But the program isn't you. And so if you do everything in the program, 
you may end up not being as much like yourself as you probably should be. So that's why I'm taking this semester off. And uh, it's been great summer, so it will far. End up being, so yeah. that's great for you. Yeah, it's been so nice not going to class. I can't even, it's, I'm about four weeks in and it's just amazing. So, all right. Yeah. Well, David, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for being on the pod. It's been a good time. So thank you everyone for listening. That was the how to survive college podcast. Um, I haven't done this on the past couple of episodes, but I'll give you the chance if you want to, uh, for those listening and if they're curious to follow you on social media, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I'd say Instagram right now is my go-to. So you can find me at Instagram.com slash David Bippes, B-I-P-P-E-S, as we spelled before. All right. Well, thank you very much, David. Um, my name is Luke Byler, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Luke underscore Byler 816. That's B-Y-L-E-R 816. They always say there's more to it. Look at the details. They always say they going through it. Life is a female. Dog, that would be me. She said, let's go to Hong Kong, but I'm only 18. Ain't got money for Hong Kong. If she'd have asked me last year, I'd have been long gone. Cause we all dogs, and I hope we all go to heaven.